Welcome to Personal Stories of St. James's. Today I am interviewing Susan Dowds, a relatively new member of St. James's with a fascinating life story and understanding of God. So I'm really excited for this interview. Uh, Susan, I'm going to dive right in with my standard starting question. Where did you grow up and what was it like? Well, uh, my earliest years, from maybe one to almost five, uh, happened in Oklahoma, where I was born in a little oil town, a very tiny oil town. But my earliest memories are from attending school at uh, Miss Rombo's primary school in Tulsa, which I see has only recently closed. I was very bored with Dick and Jane and kind of a brat at times in class because of that. On summer visits, after my parents moved to Wilmington, Delaware with me, I was fond of watching cattle and of sitting out on the cotton bales and watching truckloads of farm workers. And these were Hispanic, African-American, white workers headed into the fields to pick cotton. And I would collect eggs from under my grandmother's chickens and I would visit sometimes Uncle Charlie, who lived down in the storm cellar, the outdoor storm cellar, during the hottest parts of the month of the summer when it was 120 degrees. And he slept down there and was generally very comfortable, and it was very cool, pleasant. Um, so I went to summer Bible school and church with my grandmother. Uh, I remember so many scenes that to others might seem very boring, but for me, tumbleweeds caught in the fences and real-life cowboys in tall boots uh, walking around town. And uh, I had one grandfather who had a lumber yard and another who was a horseback riding, rifle carrying circuit judge, uh, who finally <laughs> settled in Shawnee, where he was indeed a highly respected judge. And he also fed traveling men uh, who stopped at the house on their way, uh, moving westward uh, during the depression. And he would lie on the floor, uh, shut the door, and put on the opera records, and that was his relaxation. And he went fishing with the prison trustees. So uh, that was that grandfather. Uh, and eventually we moved to Tulsa and then to Wilmington, Delaware, where my father worked for the DuPont Company, like everybody else. And we lived in a suburban development where at one point Joe Biden lived, although we never saw him. And his wife was killed in a car accident uh, not far from us. Uh, and then he, uh, I think he must have uh, departed for other places after that. I'm not sure. And of course, then he went to Washington. We never saw him, and at the time, I really had no idea who he was. <laughs> As a teenager, uh, my friends and I would play poker on hot summer nights, uh, sitting on screened-in porches. Um, so I was an only child who read all the time, 
I remember looking very specifically, looking at a map of the United States and smoothing it out with my hand and saying that one day we would all be a shade of brown. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I actually don't have a clue where that came from, mm-hmm. uh, but it certainly wasn't from my family, and it was the beginning of kind of a theme in my life. Um, so much later, I joined the Episcopal Church uh, when I was a student at Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. And as I often say, that was mostly because uh, two of my favorite English professors were, uh, were members of that little small town church. And uh, I married Phil Dowds, with whom I had grown up, and went to MIT, and he was an architect in Boston, and I I joined him up there. I was a development officer at a fair number of major Boston uh, nonprofits. Um, One of them, A Better Chance, uh, is still very active. They're they're in New York now, but they recruited African-American students nationwide. Uh, to uh, and met, many of them were coming from city schools and uh, neighborhoods, but we recruited them for top private schools all across the country, and their their presence in those schools was a major force in um, integrating the school those schools. I think it was probably pretty tough for a lot of them at mm-hmm. first, um, but I'm really proud of the fact that I worked for them. So uh, I worked for others in Boston, mm-hmm. but that stands out because it's kind of a theme. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a couple of qu- questions occur to me. Um, uh, I want to s- start with the, the earliest part, like uh, your uh, tumbleweeds and, and uh, cowboys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, as, a, as someone who grew up in New England and, uh, you know, that seems like something out of a a fantasy to me, not something that's real. Um, I'm curious how you would say your growing up in Oklahoma or being a Midwesterner or that, um, how that's still with you? Like, how are you still, how, how is that, that little girl still you? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I think, I think it gave me a much greater appreciation later on for what the middle of the country is really like and mm. is really going through now. Mm. But it also kind of was in my personality. I tend to uh, speak more openly uh, than many New Englanders. And, <laughs> uh, I have a very different view of what uh, other American denominations are like, and a lot of respect mm-hmm. for them. Uh, I think I learned early on that in that part of the country, African Americans and white people were very separate. Mm-hmm. They were very separate from uh, Indian people uh, that I used to see around town a lot. Um, I think it just gave me a broader sense of American democracy and perhaps a more direct way of relating to others. Mm-hmm. 
not quite so, um, I don't know, inward or even though I'm an inward person. Um, and I got my sense of humor from my father and from mm -hmm. people we met uh, or I met when I was quite young. And I, I, you know, I used to watch Oral Roberts on TV. <laughs> what could be more <laughs> Midwestern than that? Um, and I actually liked it. I loved mm. to hear these roaring sermons. And I was very tiny, so it, it sunk in. Mm. I can't avoid it. <laughs> what, what, describe the, f the humor of your father that you carry. Oh, he was just, he was a Southwestern kind of person, and he could just wisecrack and uh, poke fun, and he would do it all in a very soft voice, hmm. and he was uh, just very part of, he probably got that from his brothers, he had four brothers and a sister, and from his dad, who was the judge. I, I think it's it's a regional thing mm. that you don't find in the same way in New England. Okay. Uh, not that people don't have a sense of humor, but it's different. Very sweet. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I also wanted to throw that thread about you. You're just talking about the theme of your life, you know, uh, that the, the country would someday all be a shade of brown. And I think I heard some of what you meant by that when you talked about working for a better chance, I think, if, if, I'm, if I'm understanding. Yeah. Um, but what are some, um, if, are there other ways that you understand that that theme of, of the country becoming brown has been part of your life? Well, I think when I, uh, even when I was a little buddy, bitty girl in Oklahoma, I, I could, uh, I would see who was going out to the fields to pick cotton. And they were always people of color mm. and white people together. And um, I think some of it was a reaction to the racism in my own family and in the state I was from. Uh, and uh, I kept seeing that even when we moved to Wilmington, Delaware, which in in essence, Delaware is a southern state, and uh, there were two black kids in my high school. The district had been gerrymandered uh, so that it was not within the city limits, even though kind of was. And uh, I saw it. I saw it in the way people were treated. Uh, when I was very young, maybe 20, I, I went out to a part of Wilmington that was where a lot of black people lived. And I offered myself up as a volunteer. I mean, that was really uh, out there. And uh, it was an older black couple who were probably from the South, and they were trying to run this operation. And... Uh, I met two kinds of people. It was it was the beginning of the civil rights movement, kind of, uh, and all of the protests. And there were some people who didn't want to see my face, some black people who just didn't want to be around me. 
and there were others who were very welcoming. And uh, I've kind of watched that happen in different places. Um, I just always had a big awareness of it. It's one of the reasons I love uh, St. James so much is that it's a diverse community. And uh, I think that St. James does an incredible job of living that out, and at least to my eyes. And I feel much more comfortable there than uh, I have in other churches. Hmm. Um, and uh, so I think it was part, in part rebellion, but in also, also in part it was just me. That was just mm -hmm. something I stuck with, or that stuck with me. Mm -hmm. So, changing gears a smidge, uh, can you tell me one of your happiest memories? Oh, yeah. Um, Phil and I really love the Southwest and uh, the Red Rock country. And we took a, uh, it was a guided, and there was a group of us, a uh, uh, rafting trip down through the whole length of the Grand Canyon. Uh, and you get, when you do that, you get a real clear sense of how small we are, mm -hmm. how uh, kind of unimportant in some ways <laughs> that we are and how extremely beautiful and haunting that part of the world is. Now, lots of people go there, but you can always feel that sense, that overwhelming sense of an environment that shows you who you really are and how small you really are. So it's humbling and it's a lot of fun. I, I really love that country. And uh, we ended up in Havasupai, which is an Indian town. So you got a little taste of everything uh, and the extraordinary beauty. It was something mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. Well, um, what would you say are uh, some of the important things you've learned in life? Oh dear. Um, <laughs> well, I think I think what I think about now is how we need to get and keep a sense of scale and limitation. Mm -hmm. Uh, that as humans we are not all all powerful, far from it, and we are not separate from the earth, even though that's hard for us to comprehend because we live on it. Um, and we can't control everything. We have to, I think, live smaller than we have. We uh, there are too many of us, and we don't really need all the stuff that we acquire. 
And I think we have to go more inward to understand ourselves. Um, Americans tend to think they're not responsible for each other mm-hmm. because it's the independence that seems to matter so much. But but we actually are very dependent on each other, and I think this pandemic has perhaps brought that to light a little bit more. I don't think we can continue being a blight on the planet or a threat to each other. And I think we're in a very dangerous era of uh, phony dominance and it's killing us and the planet. So that's my dark view Mm -hmm. of where we are. Maybe dark, but... um, uh... That's kind of right on, too. Yeah, not irrationally alarmist um, at all. No, Um, it's pretty scary. uh, The money levels there. Um, So so you shared in some, you know, in emails we've exchanged, um, that you felt some sense of optimism and hope. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but some sense of optimism and hope in, in protests that have happened happened in the last few months or uh, around racism? Well, I think the Black Lives Matter thing has, mm-hmm. sh- it's, it's shifted up. Mm-hmm. It's more open. It's everywhere. It's on TV. It's in the streets. There are many more black people who are out speaking and uh, expressing. Uh, they, there seems to be more openness and more courage about it now. And I think seeing, you know, the mixed crowds of protesters with lots and lots of white students, that, that has really given me a sense that we've gotten somewhere that has taken much too long a time, much too long. But what I hope is that there are some real outcomes mm-hmm. from this. Uh, it's all, you know, wonderful to see everybody out protesting, and it's extremely important to do that, but um, it has to it has to gel somehow. Mm-hmm. I, I still think that it might, that mm-hmm. this is, this seems more, this seems more of us out there, and younger people, and, uh, I think that's really, really important, mm-hmm. and I, I hope it's a good, a really good sign. I think we're inching along, mm-hmm. you know, given this the actual history, but I have more hope now. Mm-hmm. I really do for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm guardedly optimistic that we'll yeah. make, that we'll make yeah. some steps. Well, I, you know, uh, you know, on say an issue like accountability for around police brutality, that kind of thing. Right. No, it's it's. There's always the danger that it will just fade. Yeah, fading. But, it, yeah. Uh, people get tired of protesting for one thing. They want to see real change. Um, but I, I agree. It's it's guardedly. Mm-hmm. I'm guardedly optimistic. 
Yeah, I mean, and I'm gonna. This is absolutely a question that's that's like too hard, but um, to ask, but it, but it's when I ask myself is I, I one of the things I wrestle with in terms of how I preach and what I talk about is um, how much do we just keep talking about the next thing that emerges, or how much we just like focus on one particular issue. I mean, I could um, you know. So oh, in, in our world of, of, you know, multiple injustices, um, you know, yes. you know, you know, related to race, related to how we treat our planet, related to how we treat women, um, related to how we treat gay and trans and non-binary folks, um, you know, on one level, the progressive churches, I think rightly respond to the things that are on people's minds and hearts, um, mm -hmm. in the moment. And sometimes I wonder slash worry if as we jump from issue x to issue y to issue z um if we um <laughs> i'm just talking about even asking a question terrible interviewing um but uh but but i like, like to your question to your question around on fading um you know like i think sometimes we fade the interest on an issue phase not not because i mean sometimes it fades just because it kind of goes off out of our mental radar but it's sometimes like the next thing, next important thing comes along. Um, and so we start thinking about that. Um, but before we take action on it, we move to yet, you know, the next thing. Um, okay. You, you know, so like, so like I, like I, you know, in the, so we decided in the church to, to do, to work on creation stuff because of the way our planet matters. Um, and we're called to care for it in ways that we're failing to do. So as you said, this, this fall, um, and I and I wrestle with that a little bit because you know am I just jump you know are we jumping out of the quote racism boat into the green justice boat and then in in you know and and then and so we're not actually moving ourselves in a way that's focused on something that gets us going deep so I mean that's, that's, so I'm curious how you think about that question as much as you as as well, it makes I it. think existentially I think uh, the uh, planet is our most important issue but it's not unrelated to mm -hmm. everything else mm -hmm. existentially we are we're creating more problems that make it difficult for people who are the slightest bit uh unable to deal we're creating more problems for everybody. We're just, mm -hmm. and I, uh, all those cattle in Oklahoma, they shouldn't have been tearing up the land like that. That started with the pioneers, mm -hmm. uh, destroying the, the actual ground and putting cattle on it. So I think that not beginning to make a major effort to solve that is a huge mistake and uh i knew it when you know years ago scientists were saying uh this is what is coming and we just have ignored it we mm -hmm. have ignored it we're ignoring it at a faster rate than than ever so, okay, so there's that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's very hard to get a grip on that. Mm -hmm. 
it's much easier to deal with uh, the people we are seeing in our lives and what is going on with them and with uh, the, the racial issues that are still there. They, you know, you get your energy up and, and you try to make a difference and so forth. And so there are all kinds of those problems, but they won't matter if we don't have a healthy planet. And right now, the people we're trying to reach out to are the ones who suffer the most mm -hmm. from this planet, planetary situation that we've created. So I think it's very, very difficult mm -hmm. to pick and choose. And um, I... I, I don't know how to. Yeah, 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 no, and I, but I think. Neither does anyone else. So. Yeah, well, but if there's any bit of an answer, I think you're on to the the starting point for it, at least from my perspective. In the in the the way these that these issues are, I'm naming them as in, independent, but you're um, but I but that's not really the case. They're all connected. Yeah, they're connected. Yeah. You know, um, you know, people of color are disproportionately impacted by climate change. Um, oh, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah. disease that comes um, along with it and all of the problems are much worse for that community mm -hmm. than they are for many mm -hmm. uh, of us. And I don't know, yeah. it's, it's a really, it's a real hornet's nest mm -hmm. and uh, it is all tied together. Thanks. Um, so I'm going to, uh, again, shift gears uh, and ask you a question of a different ilk. Um, uh, what was the most profound spiritual moment of your life? Of my life. Moment. Um, Maybe that's not well, how you think about I, it. I think it's more of a sense of moving towards something mm -hmm. than it is a moment. I, I don't think life is a moment. I think it's a process. And I think it's the sense of moving towards something, um, toward uh, what I would call the light with a capital L. Mm -hmm. um, I've always had that. Maybe I got it from all that you know, open country and light in mm -hmm. the Southwest, but um, it's a cosmic sense that we can't lose that, that mm -hmm. it will always be there. And I'm drawn to that. Um, it's not a solid thing. Um, I believe on some level that that's where Jesus is. And... Uh, that if we seek that light and we let it draw us, we can keep a sense of scale and a sense of wonder and reduce general harmfulness, mm -hmm. which would be, we're, we are a stiff-necked species, we mm -hmm. can, I mean, we're the worst. And so, <laughs> speaking only for myself. <laughs> Not for anyone I'm speaking with. <laughs> so, I'm interested in you know, how you share that, which is a little more like your, you know, 
your sort of theology and your understanding of your spirituality, spirituality generally. Um, I, I'm I like that sort of image of capital L light that draws us to it. Um, but also, you know, where, where it causes you, you know, some, for some folks, when they talk about their spirituality, it becomes fundamentally about their own, um, meaning their own individual spiritual, emotional needs. Uh, you know, the me and, me and Jesus, to, you know, um, and <laughs> to heck with everyone else, um, you know, kind of theology. Um, but I, 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 I'm interested to hear that, that it, it, gave, it also gives you the sense of scale um, and it, it, you said reduce general harmfulness. I think I heard you, if I heard you right, um, that, right. that the closer you get to God, uh, the more you're able to, um, to engage in that sort of simplicity that you talked about earlier. Um, yeah. uh, that's that, you know, cause, cause so, that's not the universe. Many people really do allow their spirituality to become just about their, them and their own inner life. And it doesn't impact how they live in the world or how they res uh, respond to others or the planet. Um, what do you think? How does this is a hard, again another impossible question on some level? But what? Why for you does coming closer to the light l enable you to live more, as I'm calling it, simply or with a sense of that sense of scale? Because I guess in part because I feel like it's something we can all have, we can all access, we can all move towards. Hmm. Uh, because it's freeing. Hmm. Uh, it's not specific to any denomination, really. Uh, but it just so happens that, you know, I'm in a an Episcopal mode. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's something that that for me is is almost like a physical thing. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm not seeing things or anything of that nature, but I do think of it as a movement. Hmm. And uh, I'm not sure I'm answering the question. <laughs> no, no, you absolutely are. You know, as, as well. Let me put it this way: hmm. we pawed around in kind of darkness and diversions, and we forget what we're supposed to be about, and we uh, we need. A vision. We need uh -huh. light. Mm -hmm. We need something that we feel that is that is God for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't have visions or anything of that nature. But a having a vision is mm -hmm. a way of trying to to see. Uh, where to go and what to what to 
do. I I'm thinking about uh, Jesus and his view of the light. I mean, he he had this wonderful view of the upside down nature of the truth. The last shall go first. Um, his kind treatment of women and children, which was very unusual in his day, his anger at the establishment and his sense of humor and irony. Hmm. Um, and like entering Jerusalem on the back of a donkey at one end of the city, which was clearly not where the rich people were. And, sorry, Apologize, this stupid phone. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and and the Romans entering the other gates, all dressed in armor and riding horses and commanding the view from the top. Hmm. And those things, I think, still exist. And and Jesus was so good at at demonstrating those things. Hmm. Uh, to us. So, uh, I think that his sense of humor and irony was part of the light that he could shed on hmm. things, uh, too. And, uh, I better stop while I'm talking about the light while I'm still coherent. No, no. I, 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 I love the idea that part of how Jesus shepherded us into the light was by humor and irony. I think you're, one, I think you're right. And two, I, I think, you know, like we, um, sometimes, you know, we'll talk about humor as like a, a coping mechanism, but not much more uh, than that. And what you're what you're hinting at is that um, that stuff actually is not just a like way to like dull the pain, but actually a way that that calls us into being, you know, whatever that bigger thing is that that is the light. Right. Um, well, without it, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. you really are. I used to think it would be just like not having that would be like a being a balloon that gets punctured. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know the the notion of a of a uh, deathly serious heaven is like is 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 pretty, pretty awful. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, pretty awful. No, without laughter, we're <laughs> kind of done for. Let me ask you one more question um, before we wrap up, um, and maybe this is this may connect with some of what we talked to you before, obviously. But I'm curious, you know, in particular, in, in these days of coronavirus, um, where you know it's impacting lots of us differently, and you are and so and somewhat like me in the boat of being um, pretty sheltered and um, uh, in one little home for for most of your time. Um, we're, we're both in that place where that's where the pandemic has left us. Um, uh, for you, 
how does your faith sustain you emotionally and spiritually at this time of coronavirus and pandemic? Well, I would say that right now we're seeing the worst uh, that the world can come up with. Mm. And uh, many people are suffering terribly, obviously far more than we are here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And that we, we will have to change when this is all over. This has revealed so many things that are wrong and unfair and uh, not life-giving in our society. And so in a funny way, I think that focusing on the light can help us look forward to healing and to uh, having a better understanding of who we really are. Mm -hmm. We're not all powerful, clearly. Maybe especially in the United States. We're not able to achieve, accomplish, and dominate everything we it's uh so i think uh, the way i put it is that we have been seeing us through a glass darkly mm -hmm. and now we are face to face with uh who we are and what we are as human beings and in some ways that should be a relief that we're not, uh, we're not, technology isn't our only pathway, that we have to have something to move towards. And I tend to express that as the light, that the light of Christ that cannot die. Uh, and that it's within and, and beyond each of us. It's mm -hmm. our beating heart, our refuge and our power, our journey and our goal, our softness and our strength. And it gives us, you know, I think the strength to look at who we are and what we're doing in this world and what we have done to this world. For some things, it, it may just be too late. Um, I don't know, but uh, we, we can have a better, more real sense of ourselves as human beings who are not all powerful and, but who can learn to have a different kind of power. Mm. The power that uh, Jesus was using to 
speak to people and to bring healing to them and I don't know if I go on any further I'll just get more lost in the no, no, I think that's what I'm no, thinking. No, I, I mean, part of um, what I think is brilliant about all, all of what you're saying is it's um, <laughs> you're naming both the sources of hope for you, but all, but without without oversimplifying the real the real darknesses and the real challenges and the real um, you know you've shared both you know. The, the real reasons to be terrified and the and the real you know the reasons to be really scared for our world um and reason to be hope to be hopeful um uh and holding those two things which um are made for christians are both true but hard to to, to hold at the same Very time difficult. um yeah. you know how how to be opt- optimistic without falling into de- denial or um or face the 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 terrors um without falling into de- you know despair um um it's a fine balancing act <laughs> yeah um, yeah some days i think i manage it better than others um <laughs> we're doing okay well <laughs> Thank you, as are you. Um, and I, I love your language. I mean, the only thing I'm faintly disappointed about is like some of the things you were saying were things I was beginning to think about preaching about for Sunday, but you've articulated them better than me, so I'm, now I'm a little disappointed that, that your language is better than mine. Um, oh, well, I just you know, had my nose stuck in a book. So that's what happens. You, know, you just sort of absorb it. And being an only child, you know, you just do that stuff. So. Thank you. Thank you so much yeah. for this opportunity. Thank you, Susan. Um, and uh, I, it may not be for a while, but I look forward to that time when we can uh, be together uh, in in person. You know, it, we, oh, we, we've got a way we, we need to be safe and responsible in this. So I think we're talking about the other side of a vaccine. Um, yeah. But I, I look forward to that very much. You know, for me, St. James is filled with light. So mm. I really look forward to that. And I hope I'm still alive. <laughs> oh, nope. Not, I'm not going to answer. allow that question to, to go. Um, we, you will be back in that building. Yeah, I hope so. And I'm so grateful mm. to have this chance to see you <laughs> and to uh, talk about these things. I think it's important for me, and I hope it's... I hope it's helpful to a few other people. I'm confident it will be. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Bye. You too.